Good morning. It's December 15th. It is a bright and milder morning in New York City. Someone is buzzsawing something in the background. And this is your Indignity Morning Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Skoka, taking a look at the day and the news. The biggest New York Times story of the day is not in the doorstep edition of the New York Times, but is a splashy online piece rolled out at five this morning, describing the Supreme Court's internal deliberations that led to the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Among the disclosures in the piece is that Justice Brett Kavanaugh came up with a scheme to create the appearance of distance from Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death, in which despite the court's conservatives having agreed to take up the Dobbs case, they would simply keep listing it on the docket as a case that they still hadn't decided whether to take up or not. This suited Amy Coney Barrett, who had been appointed mid-election to the still warm seat vacated by Ginsburg's death in a hasty effort to make sure to add an anti-abortion vote to the court, And the Times reports the delay strategy also appealed to Chief Justice Roberts, who expressed concern about moving faster, saying the court could look as if it had been waiting for a new justice to take on a challenge to Roe, which is precisely and directly what the court had been doing and what it did do after staging the delay. The story also makes it clear that despite the effort to blame unspecified liberals among the court's clerks for the advanced leak of Alito's draft decision overturning Roe, The effect of the leak was to lock in Alito's decision, and at a minimum it harmonized with Alito's efforts to pregame the decision with his conservative colleagues before sharing it with the full court, and with the use of leaks to the Wall Street Journal editorial page to warn against any effort by Roberts to create a less sweeping compromise position. Hard to believe that Samuel Alito might have been lying about who did what, but one does have to consider the possibility. Presumably that story will get showcased in the paper over the weekend, or early next week, as today's print front page is relatively thin news-wise. The lead story is that the Biden administration wants Israel to stop the indiscriminate slaughter in Gaza sometime, maybe three weeks from now. As of this morning, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, visiting Tel Aviv, was already rowing that back. We're not here to tell anybody, you must do X, you must do Y, he said today. Next to the Israel-Gaza story is another Israel-Gaza discourse story, this one about a conflict inside the Bronx Defenders, as the Public Defender Group argues over whether it should be issuing statements about the war. As in other such disputes, this turns out to predate the October 7th attacks, in this case going back to 2021, when one Bronx Defenders member, who had had two children serve in the Israel Defense Forces, objected to the organization's statement about the violence caused by Israel's assault on the Al-Aqsa Mosque. The woman, Debbie Jonas, the Times reports, asked the organization's editorial director to issue an addendum saying the email had told just one side of a complex story. The executive director declined. So the Times writes, Ms. Jonas reached out to Dove Heikend, a longtime New York assemblyman who is vocally pro-Israel. He sent the email to the New York Post. The Post's coverage set off a furious email battle within the Bronx Defenders. Employees demanded that the snitch come forward. Eventually, Ms. Jonas acknowledged that she had corresponded with Mr. Heikend. Dozens of colleagues attacked her, calling her Karen, a snake in the grass. Disgusting. You are worse than the dirt from the bottom of my shoes, one woman wrote. Ms. Jonas resigned immediately. I experienced it as being profoundly anti-Semitic, she said. To the Bronx defenders, I'm just an evil person because I support Israel. Maybe. Or maybe they think you're an evil person because you reached out to Dove Heikend, whose characterization by the Times as vocally pro-Israel pretty drastically understates his enthusiasm for and affiliation with actual anti-Arab terrorist movements, to say nothing of his history of wearing blackface. 
and had him in turn bring down the wrath of a major newspaper on the office. Seems like it might have had more to do with what she felt was a reasonable way to treat her colleagues than with the substance of reviews themselves. The rest of the top of page one is another water rights story with a very lovely picture of California mountain ranges running down to agricultural fields with a white band of irrigation spray running across the frame about a third of the way up. Just a really attractive semi-abstract composition. Pleasant to see it prominently featured. Below the fold are two versions of what, on reflection, seems to be the same story. One is about a TikTok influencer who has gotten a huge audience by subjecting his balding head to various dubious hair recovery treatments. The other is about the Federal Reserve taking credit for the fact that its dubious regimen of interest rate hikes failed to bring on the recession that it was trying to create, but nevertheless tamped down inflation. As long as everything works out in the end, who cares whether you know what you're doing? That is the news. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to Indignity to keep us going. And if all goes well, we will talk again on Monday.